Well, good morning. morning. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. What's the next line? That is who you are. Now, how many of you believe that this morning? Yeah. I don't know. How many of you believe that this morning? Better, better. Ephesians 3.20, I I couldn't help but just think of that verse as we were singing that. And actually, I was singing that song. I was on the radio as I was pulling into the parking lot, and I thought, I kind of hope they sing that song today because I really like this. But Ephesians 3.20 says that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we're able to ask or think. What we can get our heads around can't even come close to our God because that is who he is. Amen? Well, I hope you believe that this morning. Uh, First, let me just say Donna sends her greetings as well as Dr. David Nelms. Uh, He was actually in the Quad City earlier in the week, left before I arrived, and uh, he met with some pastors and some folks, and boy, this fan is really powerful. I, no wonder I see Ed's shirt sometimes, you know, moving around, and that's, that's pretty strong, but it's refreshing. But anyway, uh, Donna just says to say hello. I was sharing with Aaron this morning. One of the great things about being back here is I haven't had to use my GPS. (laughs) I kind of know my way around. But it really is good to be home with you this morning. And I I trust that as we have the opportunity to open God's word and and to lean into his truth, that it will will be life transformative, that it will allow the Holy Spirit of God to move in your life in such a way that you will be different when you leave this place than when you entered in. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you just don't go through the motions. As a matter of fact, if the Lord continues to prompt as we go through our time together, there will be a call to action on your part. Now, you have, like any other sermon, any other moment in time, you have the choice to embrace what God wants to do in your life, or you have the choice to just kind of sit back and go through the motions and, and just kind of pretend that you're actually following what the Lord wants you to do. Now, see... Being a guest this morning, which I'm not really a guest, but being a guest in the pulpit, the one blessing of that is, if you don't like what I have to say, I may never be asked to speak again. That's okay. I get that. But the reality is this. I believe that God has something for us this morning, not because of anything I say. As a matter of fact, what I say this morning, I hope, is easily and quickly forgotten. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to you through his word so that your life would be not just blessed, but it would be changed because of an encounter with the Holy God. So let's pray and get into our time together. Father, you are good. You are our way maker. You have made a way in the, in the darkness. You have, your light has dispelled darkness from our lives. And so any of us in this room any of us that are worshiping through Facebook or another medium this morning, 
Um, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that light of life has given us a new outlook. And so we pray that our outlook this morning would not be centered on what's for lunch, what are we doing this afternoon, but that we would have open eyes to see you and to hear your spirit speak to our hearts so that when we walk through those doors and leaving, that we would be different because we've met with you. So God, bless your word today. Use it, cause it to bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 9.37, it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you know that 93% of all believers, which will include you and me, 93% of all people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will go to their grave never having shared the good news of the gospel with anyone. That's a startling statistic. 93%. So if there's 100 in this room, 93 of you statistically will go to your grave never having shared the good news of the gospel of Christ. Well, why is that? Because it's because people are fearful. It's because people say, I don't know how to. And there's a myriad of excuses that people will allow to creep into their worldview and their way of thinking that moves them away from being obedient to the scriptures, to the commands of Christ, and live a life of complacency. And really, when you do that, you're living in the doldrums. I don't know about you, but life is exciting. Even in the midst of all the turbulence that we're encountering in our culture today, life is precious, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. Why? Because we have a way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness, promise keeper, we have a God that is interacting in our lives in such a way that causes us to be different. And so this morning, I want to give you some foundational thoughts for what we want to accomplish in the Word today. So let me give you a vision of what this message is to accomplish today by the Holy Spirit of God and by His power. So our vision this morning is to mobilize and, and train and equip every believer. And, and this is kind of is like our TTI vision, okay? The Timothy Initiative, this is our, our vision as well. To mobilize and train every believer, every Christian, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The target then is to not just train and equip, but to send out and move you into action. And so there's some goals that I pray that we can see come to fruition this morning. Let me share them really quickly with you. One, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you from the Word of God to be intentional about sharing the gospel. Secondly, I want to be equipping this ministry, this body of Pleasant View, our home church. It's not your church. It's our church. I still, actually, I still have my membership here, so I'm still a part of this. Right? But it's to equip our church to be moving in evangelism and discipleship and to be engaged in planting churches. 
That is what TTI is about, but that is what the local church ministry is all about. Next, I want to say that we want to promote a partnership one with another. We walk out these doors most times, it feels like we are walking out alone. And so in sharing the gospel, being intentional about being trained and equipped is about us working together, being in partnership, being active and effective. And that's a word that we sometimes gloss over, right? We, we get the activity down, but the measurables in life, the effectiveness in life is sometimes glossed over. And that lack of effectiveness can be our rationale or our excuse to just kind of back off and say, well, you know, it's just the way it is. That's just, you know, I, we don't talk about religion or politics around our table. Well, man, that's all we do talk about, you know. But the reality is we aren't effective. And the reason why is because we're, we're like the Lone Ranger. We need a Tonto with us, right? For some of you younger people, oh, I'll explain that after the service. All right. Next, I want to say this, is we're inviting you. I'm inviting you to be a church that is not just engaged in meeting here, but planting churches. And you do that through the Timothy Initiative. But you can do that in many, many different ways. And we don't have time to talk about that this morning, but, but part of what we're gonna be looking at in the scriptures is the reality is that there are people out there who will never come in here. We want the fish to swim into the aquarium. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And so ministry it, to you as the body of Christ that happens here is to train, is to equip, is to move you into action so that those who are on the outside looking in have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and their lives are transformed. And so the last goal is this. We want to make the gospel visible, right? We want to make the gospel visible. So how do we do that? I want to just kind of bring you a concept that I believe that, that really can be life transformative from the scriptures this morning. And that is I want to talk to you about the power of one. The power of one. Capital O, capital N, capital E. Oh, but by the way, I also want to talk to you about the power of one, lowercase o, lowercase n, lowercase e. Follow what I'm saying? power of one and the power of one. And so this morning, there's a verse in Psalm 147, 5. It says this. Listen, to it. great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. That kind of goes in line with Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we're able to ask or think. And so the reality is this this morning, that we're talking about the power. We, as the body of Christ, need to get our hearts and our heads around this simple but very important truth. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Huh. Well, sometimes we sit back and say, well, you know, I'm pretty smart. Uh, I'm pretty talented. Listen. Let me tell you my comparison to how I feel in relation to that statement. If you were standing on the beach, let's just say Daytona Beach, and you're standing there looking at the ocean, and you look to the right, and all you can see from as far as you can see is sand. 
and you look to the left, and as far as you can see is sand. And you reach down, and you pick up one granular of sand. That's me. But you know what? That's you. We are almost, in comparison, almost insignificant. They say, what does that one little granular of sand matter? Well, it matters. Because put together, it creates what? A beach. But our intellect, our talent, our abilities is like that grain of sand on the beach. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do most things. No, he didn't say that. He said, you can do nothing. And so I, I really believe it's important for us that if we're ever going to go deeper in our faith, there has to be an understanding of what it is that Jesus wants to accomplish in your life and in mine. And it's going to happen through the power of one. Listen, Exodus 9.16 says this. Listen, this is really cool. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Boy, I like that. I have raised you up so that I might show you my power. That's the purpose. Eugene Peterson, not Eugene Peterson, but the New Living Translation words it this way. But I have let you live for this reason. I have let you live for this reason that you might see my power and that my fame might be spread throughout the earth. So let me give you a couple definitions and then we'll kind of get into our, our text this morning. What does the word power, dunamis, really mean? Listen to this. If we're talking about the power of one, the power of God intersecting into our lives, this is what it means. The possession of absolute authority exercised with command and influence over others, here it is, to cause an effect. I'm going to read that to you again. You're saying, why didn't I have notes? I don't know. I just didn't get around to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But listen, this is important that we get this because this is a foundational precept of, of what we're building this morning. The possession of absolute authority exercised with command and influence over others to cause an effect. So here's the question. Does Jesus have command and authority over you? Well, I think just about everybody in this room, probably everybody in this room would say, oh, sure he does. Yes. But there's another question I won't ask at this point in time. And so the power that God possesses, does it influence your life in the area of making the gospel visible? Are you making the gospel visible in such a way that others are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? If not, why not? And so another verse, foundation, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Now, we, we could just spend hours 
on those two verses. But the simple reality is that anything and everything that we claim to have is from above. It's at God's discretion. And so as we think about his power, does that power have a complete authority and influence over us? And so the one, the power, we got that, of one, God, is God is who he is. God is God, we are not. So that power of capital O, capital N, capital E, is that God, that is who he is, able to do what we can't even begin to imagine. If that is the God that you worship and that you believe in, my friend, your life will be completely different than that of those who live apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Or at least it should be. And so as we think about this power of one at work in us to make the gospel visible, it comes down to the next one, lowercase, which is you and me. We have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ by invitation. And we are in him, drawing on his resources, drawing on his greatness, receiving his power. So let me ask you some starter questions. And this and some of my, my kids are here, and it's delightful, but they know this is all by, this is all for free. This isn't, you know, by way of the text this morning. So this is all kind of right here. It's for free. So these starter questions. So earlier I, I told you what our, our goals were, so let me ask you a question in relation to the goals. When's the last time that you actually shared the gospel with someone? Not, you know, pray that you were praying for Aunt Edna and she got healed, but... When's the last time you intentionally shared the life-transformative power of the good news of the gospel with someone? Second question, when is the last time that you have led or have you ever led an individual to Christ? Have you ever had that joy and privilege? Some of you have. And I mean to tell you, you want to get stoked over something that's exciting. That is, it says all of heaven, the scripture says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes to salvation. I mean, heaven gets, they throw a party. But when's the, have you ever, or the last time that you've led someone to Christ? Let me ask you a question church-wide. Define what a win looks like in the church here regarding evangelism and discipleship. What does a win look like? Because if you don't know what a win looks like, then you're going to be able to hit that target every time. And it won't be a good, a good result. And number four, how would you honestly measure the effectiveness of actually engaging one another and encouraging one another in the fulfillment of the Great Commission? Listen, you know, going into missions almost five years ago, leaving pastoring a church and going into missions just changed the whole trajectory of, of my life and for that of Donna and I. And, you know, even a year ago, we probably would have never thought about packing up and moving to Raleigh. And, and, and life is good. God is good. We're, we're enjoying it. We miss, we really do miss what I would consider home, 18 and a half years. This was home. Uh, the church, our family, we miss the area. But what we don't miss is the um, 
for Donna and I going two separate directions. She would go off to, I won't mention the car dealership because it's on, you know, I don't want to give a free plug here. No, anyway, she would go off to the car dealership and I would go off to ministry and, and a lot of times we just felt like we were living in two different worlds, but now we're of the same mind, same purpose, same goals. Yes, she's the finance administrator and I do development and ministry and all of that outside, but but we, we pray about and we talk about things that we're really focused on together. And it's like God has brought us full circle in our marriage, in our lives, as we started in ministry and missions. And we believe in this season of life is uh, that, that culmination of, of all that we've encountered and experienced in ministry and in life. God has allowed us to be a part of TTI for such a time as this. So... I want to talk this morning about what it means to unleash the power of God in the local church, this church. So I really want to address unleashing the power of a praying church. What did Jesus say that my house would be called? A house of prayer. And prayer is that power pack in our lives that allows us to connect to the living God who is able to do more than we can ask or think. And it allows us not only to bring our requests to him, but in that conversation of prayer, we are on the receiving end of his, his word and his spirit. So let me again ask you a couple questions. What do you think Jesus wants this church to be? Have you ever really asked yourself, what does Jesus what does Jesus want? Not what do you want or I want. What does Jesus want this church to be? What would happen, and I think this is maybe the, the most important question, what would happen in this place if everyone, everyone was prayed for every day by someone? What would happen here if you really became a praying church, if we became a praying church? Now, that's not, I'm not insulting you. I'm not saying that you don't pray. But what is the intentionality of your prayer? I mean, who's praying for Josh every day? I mean, just who is? Anybody? I mean, don't, you don't have to raise your hands. But who's praying for? Who's praying for Dennis or Mike and Jane? Who's praying for them intentionally every day? And so a praying church engages the holy, living God who is able to do more than we can ask or think in a way that moves us to an intentionality of saying, Lord, do a work in his life, praying for by name. With TTI, we don't just preach a message. We practice what we preach. And so I can tell you that everyone on our staff in the U.S., we have five names of five people that we are in friendship or relationship with that do not know Jesus as their personal Savior. And we are praying intentionally every day for those five people. Why? We're praying for divine appointments that God would give us opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And to be able to intersect the God story into their story. And so I believe that if we are not praying intentionally for lost people by name with a, with a passion and a fervency, if we're not praying for one another by name, then we're missing out on the opportunity of God's power to go to work in our lives. So what would happen in this place if we unleash that kind of fervency in our prayer that every member, every attender of, of PV was prayed for someone, uh, prayed for every day by someone? 
Most of us believe in prayer. Listen, I don't think there's anyone in here that would say, I don't believe in the power of prayer. Even if we don't personally pray very much, we still believe in that, right? So what would happen if we start calling out every day for people that we say that we know and that we say that we love, that we say that we care about, if we began to approach the throne of grace with an intentionality, what would happen? How, how would it affect our worship on Sunday? Now, I know that in generalizations, we pray for our pastor, we pray for Austin, we pray for our elders, but in generalization, we just kind of generalize things. Like we pray for, the, and Lord bless the missionaries around the world. Well, who's that? You know? I mean, we, we want to pray for them, but you, see, you follow what I'm saying? So what would it do to our worship if we became intentional in our prayer? What, what would it do to the preaching ministry of our pastor if we really were intentional about praying for him and his preparation and his study and all of that in his communication? What would it do to the ministries of our church? What would it do to our evangelism, our missional community? How would it impact our missionaries? We were blessed. We got the, uh, uh, the, the prayer sheet last week, not this week, but the week before, and we saw that Donna and I were on the, uh, we're the missionaries of the week, and we were very thankful for that. But I'm going to tell you what I thought. Can I do that? I thought, I wonder if anybody's going to really notice that and pray for us. Now, that, was, that wasn't a conceited or an arrogant thought. It was just, I'm just being truthful. You know, it's on the sheet, and we gloss over those things. Listen, I'm guilty as anyone for glossing over those things. And so in this movement of God in our church, it's happening in my life. And I pray that it will begin to happen in your life as well. And so what would it do to our relationships if we really prayed? So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. Now we'll get into our message, and I only have a few minutes left. That's okay. We're gonna, this is the shortest part, I think. I think. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I can tell you this, if we became a, a really intentional praying church, we would never be the same again. We would never be the same again. So Ephesians 6, 18 says this. So I'm reading from the NLT. Pray at all times and on every occasion and with all kinds of prayers in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent. In other words, keep on praying in your prayers for all of God's people. Friends, this is not the how-to. This, this is the how to pray, not the why to pray, okay? There is nothing difficult to understand in this verse. It's easy to see how this fits in the context of our conversation because prayer is the ultimate weapon in spiritual warfare. Prayer is not part of the armor. Prayer is that which makes the armor effective. So I want to give you some foundational takeaways from this verse this morning. Because if we are really going to leave this place different than when we entered in, there has to be some calls to action that are going to move us from mediocrity to being exceptional, but maybe more important, to being effective. Listen, in our jobs... 
If we are ineffective, most likely we're not going to be employed very long. Our, our, our bosses look for effectiveness. Our, in, in, uh, our productivity, those measurables, there is the same thought process that, that really should carry over into our daily walk with the Lord. If we're not effective in, in making the gospel visible, why not? Are we ashamed? Are we afraid? The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Okay? So there, there are reasons why we would give to others to say why we're not effective. But, but that's just a reason. It's an excuse. So the takeaways, the fundamental takeaways this morning are this. Number one is that there are many ways to pray, and they are all valid. Listen, Paul, the Apostle Paul said that we should pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. The true measure of a prayer is not the beauty of the expression or the length of it, but is it sincere? Are the words that we are lifting up, are they from the heart? Or is that content and the motive of the prayer in line with who God is and what he wants to accomplish in our lives? The real question is, does it come from the heart? If the prayer comes from the heart, then, then we can claim the promise of God. James 5.16 says what? That the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous person accomplishes much. They're effective. Now, there are some qualifications that find its way into the, the effective prayers of who? Righteous people, those who are walking with the Lord, those who are intentional and moved from complacency to excellence that are moved out of the, the doldrums of the Christian life into the exciting opportunities of allowing God to work in such a way that any explanation of those effective accomplishments have to come back to that it's God's power at work in me. Because apart from Jesus, I can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. And so whatever we think we're accomplishing really doesn't matter a whole lot because Jesus said, eh, there you go. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So number one, there are many ways to pray. They're all valid. Paul says pray with all kinds of prayer. Number two, the best time to pray is when you sense the need to pray. I think that's pretty simple. We have one who indwells us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a guide. One who, and the definition of a guide is one who is thoroughly familiar with the course. The course of what? The course of life. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life? It's not just to, he's not the, just to give us what we want. He's to open our eyes to truth and give us understanding to the, the, the word of God that moves in such a way that we are changed by God's word coming to life in us. And so whenever you sense the need to pray, that's the best time to pray, that the Holy Spirit pleads and prompts us and something arises we see that need we need to pray the the greek word here on the word occasions is the word kairos that on means on all occasions 
And, and what it means is that there is a particular moment, there's a crossroads that enters into our life with different situations, and on those occasions, at those crossroads, it's a really good time to take that to the Lord in prayer. It, that crossroad speaks of that intersection. It's a moment in time when the real need is presence, and there's a sense of our own inability to stand under pressure and therefore, it, rely, it calls us to, to call out to the Lord in prayer. Listen, when, when our kids growing up or your kids, when they're in trouble and they need help, we always wanted them to call out to us. Let us know what's going on. It's the same way with the Lord. When there's times of trouble, when there are needs, he says, come to me at any time, on all occasions, come to me. Most times, if we're really honest, we go to the Lord when we've exhausted our capacities, and he's our last-ditch effort. Listen, God is with me. God is with you. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, he states that it means that he will always be there for me, that he will never forsake us. And so I think that if we understand 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all our cares on him because what? He cares for us. And so we have the opportunity in our lives to not just uh, pray on every occasion, but we have the opportunity to be effective in our prayers. And that requires a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Paul says that we are to pray in the Spirit. And that means under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It helps me to think about it this way. That praying in the Spirit means following the Spirit's guidance as not only when to pray, but what to pray. How do we pray for one another? Again, is it in generalization or are we specific are we intentional? Effective prayer requires a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Listen, God not only invites us to pray, but the Spirit of God incites us to pray. Follow what I'm saying? We're invited to come boldly before the throne of grace, but when we recognize the need to do that, it's the result of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives bringing about conviction. He incites us to pray to him and bring our needs and petitions. I don't know if you've ever thought about that way, but, but don't go it alone in your prayer life. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Effective prayer requires sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Pray about the things that the Lord lays on your heart. Pray for your family. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids by name. Ask God to increase your capacity of understanding of those around you in your life that need a touch from him. And then you're relying on his power, not yours. Number four, if you want prayers answered, stay awake and keep on praying is what Paul says. Be alert. Be alert in praying for all the saints. Eugene Peterson gives us this version. says, keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. 
Paul uses a military term here when he says to, to stay alert. And, and here's the comparison when it comes to our prayer life. First of all, you know, probably the best time to pray is not at night when you lay down after a long day and put your head in the pillow. Have you ever fallen asleep praying? Yeah, thank you for some honest people here, right? You know, yeah. And Lord, I just thought, you're gone, right? We nod off. That's not being alert. That's not being very, in we might have a good intent on praying, but it doesn't actually come to fruition very well. So the reality is this. When, when we consider this military term, it's the, it's the comparison of that century who was standing on the front lines in Afghanistan versus Paul Blart, the mall cop. Which one better be the most attentive to his surroundings? You see, we often think that our prayer life is that of the mall cop, riding around on, your, on his little scooter, right? But the sentry, other lives are depending on his alertness. And so when Paul says, stay awake, He's drawing us to that place that are we going to be the one who is, is alert? Are we on guard? Are we attentive to the details that are surrounding us? Or are we just kind of strolling through the mall with our big keychain uh, key hooked to our belt? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There, there isn't. It's a job. It's important. But the comparison of responsibility is what I'm drawing to the forefront here. And so I think that the reality is the sentry, because his buddies on the front lines are counting on him, it's a matter of life and death, they're counting on him to be fully awake and alert. And then I liked how Peterson says, to keep one another's spirits up so that no one falls behind. Again, in, in a military context, you know, we've seen movies, we've heard stories of, of soldiers, families, friends, about not leaving anyone behind. But you know, in the church, we are so prone to do that. If someone doesn't measure up to what we think they should or shouldn't be, we just, we just kind of write them off. We, we leave them behind. I mean, if we went back to the, the principle of everyone being prayed for every day by someone, no one is going to fall behind and be left in the dust. You see, we're going to move together. We're going to be praying for one another. We're going to allow the Spirit of God to cause our prayer life to be effective, and we're going to be different. We're going to lean into being different rather than just going through the status quo. I think sometimes it seems like the devil's best work is when we go to pray because we become distracted. I mean, I enjoy praying. I do most of my praying, whether I'm on the exercise bike or on the treadmill or I'm on long drives. A lot of times I just turn the radio off and I, and I just spend time talking with the Lord and listening. And what is it, that, Lord, that you're impressing on my heart today? Because I'm not distracted. 
But when I try to pray where there, when there's a lot of commotion and activity around, it's very easy to become distracted. Or, I, I, you know, sometimes I would try to pray when the TV is on. And then you kind of like peek, oh, what was that? You know, and no, we, we get distracted. That's not the intentionality of that is lost. And so we've got to find those few minutes every day. And I'm not saying pray for an hour or two hours, but find those few minutes every day that you are not distracted by kids, by a phone, by your computer, and just ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Because we're, so you know, we're just so actively throwing everything at him that very often we don't allow time for him to speak to us. And he does that through his pleadings and promptings. So I would say eliminate the, the distractions. Whatever helps you stay alert is the right way to pray for you. We, we mess around in prayer because we think it doesn't matter. I, I wonder if, we're, if we are somehow convinced that our prayer life doesn't really matter, doesn't make a difference. Well, it makes a difference if you're standing guard in the front lines, and we are. Number five, the last point, and we're just about done here. The wider our circle of concern, the wider the results. If you only pray for your family, that's a good place to start. But if you, if you enlarge that circle of prayer that you're intentionally praying for, Paul instructs us here in his verse 18 of chapter 6 to pray for all the saints. This means we need to pull ourselves out of just praying selfishly for ourselves, for our own family. It's perfectly legitimate to pray for yourself, to pray for your family, but to enlarge that circle of influence in that prayer. Pray for your, just your, not just family, but pray for your friends. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for someone in the church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your missionaries by name. Don't just kind of throw them in a bundle and, and hope that it somehow a, a general prayer reaches the, those who are on the other side of the world. Pray for the ministries of the church. Pray intentionally for that our church would have a, a, a reach into the community of reaching those that need to see the gospel. It's in verses 19 and 20, and I just say this in closing because our text was verse 18. But this is what Paul says. And as he wants his heart stretched, he says, pray for me also that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul just says two things. Number one, he prays for clarity that he might have the right words to say. You know why we don't share our, the gospel very frequently? It's because we have not been equipped, we have not taken personal responsibility in knowing what to say and trusting on the Lord and the Spirit of God to enable us and empower us to say it. Paul says, give me clarity, and then he says, give me courage. Two things, clarity, courage. Give me the courage that I might say the right words at the right time. Have you ever considered those two words? 
in your own life. Lord, give me clarity. Lord, give me courage. I, I could tell you some stories. I'm out of time. I've gone over, and I'm sorry. You know, I don't know if I'm sorry, but... <laughs> I mean, when's the next time I'm going to... Let's just, you know, lunch is at noon, so we're, you know... Um, it might be a while before I'm back again, but that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Clarity and courage. Have you considered that the ability to communicate truth just is from our God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're praying for clarity and courage, you need to ask the Lord for those two character traits. When Paul opens his mouth, his prayer is that he would have something to say. I would say to you this morning, when we open our mouths in conversation, if we're not praying for something to say, then we're not going to be able to say it. And courage, that he will have the courage to say it. I was talking to a man that I had run into yesterday. And, and I will tell you that I've known him for years, and on a few occasions, I have shared the gospel with him. And he has just shot it down every time. And yesterday, I, I ran into him at Sam's, and we're chatting for a few minutes. And as I turned to walk away, I'm, the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? And so I turned, I, I just kind of turned and said, hey, just let me ask you, you know, I said, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. And I said, uh, you know, have, have you ever thought about our conversations in the past? And, and he had said this phrase. He said, Dale, I've led, I have led a very charmed and blessed life. And I, at first, just walked away. I was walking away from that open door. And then I turned around and I said, you know, in our past conversations, we've talked about, you know, blessing. And he said, you've lived a charmed life, but... Where do you think that comes from? And I, I had the chance to just begin to share again that every good and perfect gift comes from above and that God is the author and the creator and the designer of life. And I, I didn't preach a message to him, but I just said to him, I said, Denny, I said, you know what? I said, man, I, I've missed you. And I said, I care about you, but I would pray that, that you would take into consideration that the hand that has given you a charmed life is one that has done so with the purpose that you might see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I shared, I shared that. And, you know, the simple reality is that it's easy to walk away. And I almost did. But it was the courage as, I, as God brought this, the Holy Spirit brought these two words to mind as I was about to lose that opportunity. Now what he does with it is up to him, but that we'd have clarity and courage. Listen, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to our prayers. Let's pray. Father, I would ask this morning that uh, while we've said a lot of things that, that you would allow each one of us to come to grips with one thing that we can take from this place. Maybe it's the question of what, does, what Lord do you want this church to be? 
Maybe it's that we need to become an intentional praying church. Maybe it's that we just need individually clarity and we need courage that when we open our mouths that we have something to say and that we'll have the courage to say it and not worry about how it's perceived or received as long as we're speaking in love and truth. And so, Lord, the, the call to action this morning is not simply to say, oh, that was interesting or that was boring or whatever. The call to action might even be to come to the altar this morning during this last song and privately and quietly say, Lord, I need to to wake up and become alert in my prayer life so that I might become effective. I want to make the gospel visible to those in my life that need it. And Lord, we certainly know people, every one of us knows someone that apart from Jesus and apart from saving grace, their eternity will be separated from you forever, forever in hell. We don't like to think about that. But, Lord, that's the truth. That's the reality of your word. And your desire is that none should perish, no one should perish, but all that would come to repentance. And so, Lord, would you just prompt by your spirit, not by anything I say, but by your spirit, would you move in hearts today that would cause us to be different when we leave this place, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.